0: Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan, additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tekovas is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots and I'm them with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me, and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, to Kovus. And they have a seasonal, limited-edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. Even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit Tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to Tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I have a jam-packed show for you today with all sorts of breaking news, so let's waste no time and get right into it. So, Masvidal... Versus Usman part two. How did we get here? Back up the timeline for you. Short notice fight Masvidal last year agrees to fly out to fight island on eight days notice make weight take on Usman 25 minute fight They go out they do that Masvidal leaves with all the credit. I mean that was one thing about that fight Masvidal won zero rounds said look it was short notice i didn't have a training camp he quite frankly it was a very valiant effort if you go look at the fact that he got skunked and didn't win a round but you don't go watch the fight itself you're going to have a very uh, misled interpretation of what happened it was a good competitive match very competitive match but when the whole thing was done masvidal stock goes up and uzman stays steady i kind of look at it go but wait a minute Uzman did the same thing Masvidal did. Masvidal's getting credit for taking on Usman on eight days' notice. Usman took on Masvidal on eight days' notice. I mean, right, it was just one of these things. But I'm taking you back to that time, once upon a time, because that match, and if you watched it, or moreover, if you didn't watch it and you go read the result, does not warrant a rematch. But it was different. Because Masvidal didn't make one excuse, he didn't say anything, other than... I've now learned what I needed to learn, and if I have a full training camp, I'll beat this guy. And it was one of those things where it was very hard to say, no, you won it. I understand a lot of things in fighting are that way, but there's some stories that resonate and they stick. And Masvidal was valiant in this, and the fight also did not go the way that you might think did not go the way that we all predicted it would ahead of time, which, well, if it stays on his feet, Mosvedal, and if it goes to the ground, Usman. It was not one of those old-school throwbacks to 1993. There was two mixed martial artists that both did a little bit of everything. And by the way, Mosvedal's wrestling deficit was not as great as your mind may falsely remind you it was. Mosvedal wrestled with him. And while Kamar out-wrestled Masvidal, Masvidal wrestled with him. And Masvidal did a great job of getting up off the ground. He made the takedowns hard to get, made Usman second-guess himself, do I want to go through this energy? When, he, when Usman did get that, Masvidal scrambled back up to his feet. A large part of where this fight was lost for Masvidal was up against the fence. Usman did a really good job getting under hooks, push him into the fence, eat up a little bit of time, frustrate him. There's no crowds at these things. That's relevant. There's, it's very relevant because the crowd would have would have been booing and booing against the fence. It may have made the referee step in and break the action a couple of times. It's very relevant. The fact that there was no crowd, Uzman spent a lot of time up against the fence, but that was also a weak spot for Mosval. It's somewhere that every opponent that's faced Uzman, after the fact, can look back and see one thing they have in common, which is we got pushed into the fence and this monster held us there and and... and Beat away at our thighs, at our ribs. It's one one of these spots that if you're taking on Uzman, you better be well aware of. But it's also one of the spots that makes me wonder when Masvidal came out and said, I learned what I needed to learn. I know if I have a training camp, what I need to go work on. I will assure you that's one of the spots. And the thought of these two fighting again with the full training camps that's a good story for me. I don't know how out of shape Masvidal was. Only Masvidal knows. We know that Usman was not. We know that Usman wasn't preparing for all. We know that Usman did not have the strategy and the training camp in mind for that opponent. But we do know that, Mas, that Usman had a full training camp. That he was at least ready and prepared to go in a main event spot for 25 minutes. Those are major advantages. Those are major advantages that Masvidal didn't have. And Masvidal has never been very clear. He has never been any clearer than what I uh, just spoke to you. I am absolutely using verbatim when I say to you that Masvidal said, I learned what I needed to learn, give me a full training camp, and I can beat this guy, end quote. But that's very relevant because I would be curious, as a fan, what was it that you learned specifically? And moreover, what kind of shape was Masvidal in? We only have a couple of clues there. One that Masvidal works relatively hard all the time anyway. And two, that Masvidal could make weight on that short of notice while in the middle of a pandemic and flying across the country. The mere fact that he could make weight speaks at least a little bit to the level of condition and preparedness. It would be general preparedness. But that Masvidal had because look, if Masvidal was telling the truth and he was to come out and say, yeah, that was me at my worst. I was exhausted 12 minutes in. I hung in there for the, the next 13 because I'm a competitor and I'm a fighter. I, I would be very interested in hearing that. I don't suggest for you that that's going to sway the pay-per-view. Or that's even going to grab the average fan. But you guys would think it's interesting, right? So would I. Us hardcore fans? That would be very, very interesting if Masvidal accurately told us where he was. Do it on a scale of 1 to 10. Masvidal, how prepared were you for that fight? Scale of 1 to 10. If he was around a 7, what if he came back and said he was only at a 6. We're taken with a grain of salt that he tells us the truth, that we actually get accurate information on this. But wouldn't that be very interesting? And as I tell you, he never won a round. One of the three judges did give Mosvedal one round. But the other rounds and the other judges, and all of us that viewed it, would at least have to tip our hat to Mosvedal and admit it was a competitive fight. It wasn't questionable we were not after the last bell and prior to Bruce Buffer we were not left wondering who won the fight but we would have to admit it was a it was a good it was a fight they were out there fighting there was never a point including in the 5th round where Kamar Usman took his foot off the gas because he's got this one locked up Mosvidal was coming at him and Mosvidal was annoying him at times particularly with the kicks If you guys haven't seen this fight and you want to go back and watch the fight know the story of the fight, go watch the first 30 seconds of the fight. Masvidal walks up, he kicks him right in the belly. Walks across the ring, kicks him right in the ribs, gets his attention. Decides he likes it, does the same kick, kicks him again. Exact same kick, exact same way. All of a sudden, Usman realized, whoa, we're not doing a feeling out period here. It was a fun match. I mean, I'm giving you the X's and O's. But the X's and O's of this match are going to change. They are going to be compelling. I want a better answer, and I want people that talk with Masvidal to get a little bit more specifics on it. Hey, when you said you learned something, what? What was it that you learned? If he's open with you, he's going to probably mention two or three things. One of them are going to be being held to the fence. Okay, guys, as this comes down, though, you know what? I digress because I'm actually going at a different topic here. This is just the breaking news of the day. But as I digress and we break this down, we now have some clarity on the board. Two of the players, two of the pieces are now gone. So if the pieces that remain, you can't overlook Gilbert Burns, period. Not that any of you are, but you can't. Nobody can deny Colby Covington. He's one of the top stars in the sport. John Anik said, and I quote, that Colby Covington not only is one of the great welterweights of all time, he's one of the best pound-for-pound fighters of all time. That is from John Anik, who sits ringside and has watched countless fights. There's a big compliment there. You cannot deny Colby Covington. But what do you do? Put those guys together? Well, hold that thought, because now Leon is apparently back in the mix. And while Leon might not have have won his last fight, Leon hadn't lost a fight in five years. He has not lost a fight. And now he's back, and he's on the forefront of people's mind, and he's in main event and championship talks. I mean, that talk five days ago had to do with Leon and world championships. So I bring that to you because he is in the mix. What are you going to do with Mike Chiesa? Mike Chiesa is now a main event fighter who, by the way, got the edge on Neil Magny, who is also a main event fighter. And 170 is really interesting right now. It appears very clear that Chiesa is willing. It appears very uh, clear that Burns is willing. We got to take Leon's temperature. We got to find out where he's at as happy as everybody is with Leon right now and Leon's attitude in the last two weeks, we did not live with that same attitude as recently as two months ago or 10 months ago. It was hard to get Leon out of the dugout. I'm not passing judgment on Leon. I'm passing if we're going to look at the players and the pieces and we're going to start to see who we have left. I mean, just out of willingness, just out of, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it too. Do we got to put Kiesa and Burns together? Just on willing, just because we can get a Yes. Because we have other things to do just to get one done. Do we put them together? Maybe. Maybe. It's not a bad matchup, but it would still leave you with what is Colby going to do? One of the biggest stars in the sport. One of the top draws. What's he going to do? Did Leon do enough in terms of reinserting himself? I'm talking about from a popularity standpoint. You can come to the table with a lot of things. If you want to match with Colby Covington, you're going to have to also bring that. Like it or not, that's going to be a prerequisite by chaos, that you have a level of popularity? Did Leon do enough? Maybe. I mean, see, these are some of the questions, and we're getting very slow answers. But we are getting answers. We are getting resolution. Even if it's slow, we are getting resolution. And the only reason we're not mentioning Chemaev in this mix is out of respect to Chemayev. We have heard that he is dealing with ailments, So you don't want to give a guy... You want to give a guy encouragement. You want him to know that you remember him and think of him, but you do not want to give him any kind of a pressure. You don't want him to think that his spot is going to be taken away or that his spot must be defended. You just want him to get better, right? So it's one of those things where you delicately, but you also have to remember, even if doing it with white gloves, you got to remember Chemayev. You're then going to have the return of T-Wood. Robbie Lawler is going to reinsert himself. I mean, right? 170 is interesting, and 170 is starting to get a little bit of clarity. But as I see it, there's a major opportunity for somebody at 170 right now, right now, today, whether you find yourself an opponent and you get yourself on that card, I'm talking about 261, I'm talking about the card that's going to be headlined by the welterweight title fight of Usman versus Masvidal. You get yourself a partner. You get yourself nice and beautifully aligned on this guard. So if something happens to the main event, you slide up. Or you make the phone call. You go into training camp. You get an agreement. And you just go right in as the backup fighter. I think the backup fighter is a real thing myself. I think the backup fighter is cloaked in marketing opportunities myself. I think it's got to be used right. I think it's being misused. But I also think if you're a 170-pounder, you want an opportunity and you need a certain motivation to get yourself training, which is probably accurate for most guys, right? That's a perfect way to do it. Perfect. That's a perfect way to buckle down, get your weight under control, get your paperwork in, get your training on point, and possibly find yourself a big opportunity. Okay, GSP came out And he was making a statement that he doesn't like fighting, he's never liked fighting. It was just something that he did. And by the way, you've likely heard George say things like this before. George has been one of the few guys who has been very open and honest about the mental side of his career. More young athletes can thank and learn from GSP because GSP is the one athlete who's ever been open and honest with you, the audience, but also the fellow athletes who look up to him. George St. Pierre is largely letting you know. As you sit and read these things about how George would get nervous for fights and he didn't, he didn't like fighting itself, as you start to read that, if you come to any conclusion other than this is the greatest of all time, letting you know that it's okay. He's letting you know it's okay to be apprehensive. It's okay to feel those nerves. It's okay to not want to do it. If you're not getting that message when George comes out and he speaks very openly about you you're you're missing what the great is attempting to hand to the next generation. And I must tell you because I've been asked this question, did you like fighting? Did you? And I loved it. I loved it. Loved wrestling too, right? Wrestlers as a kid, but I, I they coupled together in my mind. It was Saturday and you're shaking hands and you're competing with somebody in an outfit that you'd rather not be wearing. I will say it to you like this, though. The match itself was the worst part. The walkout was great. The build-up, the gym, the things I learned from Clayton Hires in terms of life lessons while we were on this hill doing a coach's run. I mean, these are things that I couldn't have got anywhere else, and so I coupled it together, and I loved it. The, you get high from a weight cut, by the way. I guess I might even read this in the Bible where it talks about fasting is good for clarity. When you get so hungry and in such food and calorie deprivation, there is a high, it's miserable. I do not encourage you to go and go without food, you know, for, for, for 45 days. I'll just share with you, when I look back, I only have these good memories. But to George's point, the worst part of all of those memories was the match. And I believe everybody to be like that, I have met two exceptions in my life. Two exceptions that were real, that weren't just saying it to look like tough guys, or weren't just saying it because they were trying to convince themselves that it was true. Randy Couture genuinely liked to compete. He genuinely liked it. He never looked at it with animosity. He looked at it as a competition. You could figure the rules out if you want. He'd race you. He'd put on his shoes and race you on a Saturday morning. Whatever rules you want to do, but if it was competition, you keep keeping score, somebody wins and somebody loses, he was in. He just really enjoyed that. Now, Matt Lindland on the other side liked the straight-up fight. I was in a rules meeting. Matt was getting ready to fight Pat Militich, And they had just done something with the elbow rule. This is roughly 2003. So you guys might recall there's been things that have happened with the elbow rule. The one that got John Jones disqualified, the 12-6. I mean, they've done some stuff with the elbows. There was a, a period of time where New Jersey, and it might be true right now, did not allow elbows on the ground. I'm just talking broad stroke, elbow rule. We were in Nevada. Matt's getting ready to fight Miletic. There was a fighter rules meeting, which will now be conducted one-on-one. Herb Dean will walk to your locker room and talk to you privately with your cornerman. Mark Goddard will come and talk to you privately with your cornerman, and then do the same thing for your opponent. But it used to be we all just piled in a room. Everybody on the card and all your corner men. Big John would give the rules meeting. We all... We all sat there and listened. If there's questions, you asked them. But I remember being there when Big John informed the fighters of this car they could not elbow a downed opponent. And Big John then reminded them they could also not kick a downed opponent, meaning the soccer kick, which was a big thing and going on in Pride at the time. And I remember the genuine... The it, it was it was a child at Christmas. It was a child at Christmas who was disappointed when Matt Linland found out there was no elbows on the ground and that you couldn't soccer kick your opponent. Oh, by the way, he's getting ready to fight the former world champion of Pat Miletic, who And Pat Melitich at the time was a two-to-one favorite, just to remind you guys of that night. So this wasn't as though Matt was looking to go bully somebody or go show off some highlight reel. Matt's supposed to get his butt kicked. And he was still so genuinely disappointed that they took these two toys away from him. It was very real. I mean, he didn't say anything. He didn't say this in front of the room. I happened to be sitting next to him. I saw his face. I saw his eyes. I heard him. Oh, I heard him sigh. He couldn't believe that they took these. <laughs> they took these away from him. Going, Matt, this is a good thing. The more rules in this sport that has almost no rule, that's a good thing. They've never put a rule into this sport that wasn't a good rule. Not that I've ever seen. So let me bring that to you because what George is talking to you about represents the masses. Mike Tyson, who's one of the the most intimidating fighters ever. Cain Velasquez, who's right next to Mike Tyson for the most intimidating ever. They will share those same thoughts that George shared. They'll just do it privately. They haven't worked up the muster to come and share that publicly. because They feel it reflects negatively on them. And maybe it does. Maybe you guys do look at it as a sign of weakness. But you're hearing it from the guy who showed no weaknesses. And it's a very open approach, not to mention when you look at the life that George leads. George is in practice twice a day every day, right now. George is ready to fight Khabib Nurmagomedov up until 10 weeks ago. George does a fast the first five days of every month where the only thing he puts in his body is water every month. I mean, it's an extreme life of discipline. That is absolutely ready to compete and show that he's the best in the world at any time. And this is coming from a guy that doesn't like it. Does it really matter if you like it? I mean, there's a major lesson in here. There's a major, major life lesson in here that has nothing to do with MMA. Does it matter if you like it? Or is it more important that you did it? Those are your choices. You probably don't want to go out and mow your your yard, but if you get up and mow your yard, your neighbors now aren't upset with you because your lawn looks good. I mean, it's just one of these things. Does it really matter how you feel? And so many times in life, I think you do need to ask yourself that. And I do watch society as a whole becoming weaker right now because we're talking about and we're accepting from the youth what you wanted to do and how did it make you feel? It It would seem the same in an opposite and negative way to me. My son came to me someday and he said, man, it was Saturday night. I was out with the boys and and I really wanted to drink a beer. But he then informs me he didn't do it. I'm proud of him, but it speaks to the action over the mindset. So sometimes you have to identify in life what it is you want and how are you going to get it. And if you have to do things that you don't like along the way to get you to the end, you've either got to accept that now or quit. Now. In a moment, I'll tell you all about the latest with everybody's favorite Bantamweight, but first I wanna tell you about one of our sponsors. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm always looking at his screen now more than ever. And whether you are an avid news watcher or in serious need of a distraction Unplugging yourself is easier said than done. One of my favorite ways to rest my eyes and still get the content I'm itching for is by putting in my Raycon wireless earbuds and listening to something fun like Your Welcome. Whether you're catching up on past episodes of Your Welcome, binging on an audiobook, or powering through a workout with a pumped-up playlist, a pair of Raycons in your ears can make all the difference. What I like most about my Raycons is they actually fit my ears. Unfortunately, there's always a few earbuds that seem to fit in my mangled cauliflower ear. These earbuds are the most comfortable and the most discreet. No dangling wires or stems to get in the way here. And they come in a range of stylish colors. Raycons are built to perform anywhere and anytime with water and sweat resistant construction and Bluetooth that pairs quickly and seamlessly. And with enough battery life for six hours of playtime, you can unplug for a while. The best part, Raycon makes great sound accessible to everyone with wireless earbuds starting at half the price of the other premium audio brands. Raycon is offering 15% off of their products for my listeners only. And the way to get it is go to buyraycon.com slash That's it you'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. So feel free to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com slash jail. Buy, R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash jail. So on the heels of possibly the lamest return to mixed martial arts ever, of course I'm talking about the return of Henry Cejudo, the champ, 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 because I count the Olympics at three different weight classes, who, by the way, never lost his title, but walked away unceremoniously and very oddly at an overly peculiar time, allegedly has come back. Now, before you think I'm starting a rumor, I'm alleging this because I'm quoting as a source, Henry Cejudo. He says he's coming back. But Henry throws things at the board in ever which direction? That you just never truly know. When is he working? When is he shooting? When is he having some fun with you? And when is, he about, when is he calling somebody out? When is it straight? It's just one of these things that's hard to know. And I don't. But Henry has now called out Max Holloway. That came out of nowhere. I don't remember him calling out Max when Max was champion. And by the way, if you're going up to 145, Henry, why are you calling out Max and not going right after Volganovsky? Well, Henry had his own reasons. And he laid them out. And when Henry starts to lay out his reasons, it at least pulls me in. And I realize I could be a sucker on this, guys. But it at least pulls me in to the direction of believing he's telling us straight. And when Henry started to give a breakdown of himself versus Max, and he started to talk about the length of Max and how many people, at least within his own social media, are saying that he, meaning Henry, cannot beat Max, that it it motivates him. But as he started to give these extra details, it did make me go, man, there might be something to this. There might be something to this, which, by the way, I at least like the theme, okay? I like the theme of Henry coming back at 145. I like the theme that Henry understanding, if he were to come back, it is for a contenders match. I like that, because something that could stop this train from ever leaving... From ever gaining a little bit of, of steam is if Henry starts to make as one of his demands, his return is for a title fight. Well, that would make sense and why I would fully understand if Henry was given that opportunity, nobody complains. I'm only sharing with you that that's not a guarantee for anybody, but particularly for somebody who left and left everybody surprised when he did it, right? I mean, that's just not the world's best way to go. You're now not owed a favor. You're now not the first call that people are going to take as you're trying to get a favor. It's just one of those things. This is a small thing, but it is one of the conflicts that Henry's going to have if his return is predicated on must be a title fight. By the way, 145 pounds, is that direction? Is that the direction that Henry is going? he's talking about Max, and the answer to that would be yes. But a week ago, he was talking about Jan and he was talking about Sterling. As I look at 135 pounds, I mean, things start to get very interesting. By the way, what is Sandhagen doing? And by the way, what is Dillashaw doing? But that's very relevant to ask, even if you're working in Henry Cejudo. Look, if we're going to do a rematch between Jan and Sterling, that defaults with no reasonable explanation to not have to put TJ and Sandhagen together. I would think that both of those guys might have a problem with that just based on principle of, wait a minute, you know, you got Sandhagen over here going, wait a minute, I have fighter of the year. I got knockouts of the year. I've been given bonuses in my last fight. You got TJ coming back going, I'm the champion of the world. And my fights are going to be dictated based on an outcome of somebody else's fight. I mean, I only bring that to you because you do all of a sudden have have these moving parts, and it looks like things aren't really quickly coming together. And by the way, Sterling is starting to play the role now. Sterling is now starting to put a little resistance at Jan, which he should be doing. He absolutely should be doing it. Even if it's just fun and it's for attention, he has every intention of taking on Jan. Or moreover, if, if Sterling goes, you know what? I learned something about Jan and myself in, in those minutes that we were out there. And one of the first things I learned is to stay away from that guy. If I want to hold this belt, maybe I got to stay away from that guy. Fine. Fine, we may never know why he's doing it. I'm just offering for you. It is very wise that he do it. There is no reason to just lay down and accept this whole rematch business without at least getting several weeks worth of headlines out of it. And Jan is a little bit jammed up regardless of what has been presented to you. Regardless of how this has been presented to you, the audience, Jan is in a jam in that the boilerplate forms that he must fill out when he returns to get a licensed, a privileged license, he's going to have to check the box that he was disqualified. If you are disqualified, it is a built-in question of what was the remedy to this. I'm changing the words, but how did your hearing go? It is a built-in belief by the commission who gives you the form that has the box right there that you have to check that you attach What the verdict was on a disqualification, what I'm trying to say to you is there has not been any fighter disqualified that does not have a hearing. And somehow this was glossed over, and even if this one is, and I realize that Bob Bennett has been extremely quiet about this topic. But even if it is, Yon gets to where he's going to have to check that box. It's one of these things where license status alone does not guarantee that that fight is going to happen. And if everything that I just said can be easily explained away, if you're Aljo and you don't want it explained away, this is why you bring it to people's attention. And I don't know that there is any comment that Aljo could make that would be wrong right now. Because people right now have found a reason to hate him. They're upset with him for even having the title. Now Aljo is out there doing pictures with the belt and a big smiley face. That's what he should have done from Jump Street. He never should have apologized, not one single time. And if you're getting attention by being hated, go with it. What's the difference? What's the difference on why you're getting the attention? If you're getting a headline, keep the headline going. So if Alja wants to come out and deny the fight, oh, and by the way, particularly if he did it with the straight truth, because the truth really drives people crazy. If he said straight, you know what? The one thing I learned in that fight with Jan is Jan's a big problem for me. And I think I'd like to hold on to this belt for a while. So I'm just I'm not gonna fight I'm not gonna fight Jan until he reproves himself. Yon, Jan, Jan, why don't you and TJ fight? Or Jan, why don't you and And Sandhagen fight. I mean, that's going to be problematic with the eye of the fan. The fan is going to go absolutely insane, particularly if he puts it in that position. And I think that he should. I don't think that there's any truth to the fact that Sterling and Jan are going to fight the end. At some point, something has to happen with that license status. That could happen with a phone call. That could happen with an email. That could happen with a hearing, which seems extreme. The commission has not called a hearing. You can't beat a dog today for something he he did a week ago. But at some point, it still has to be addressed. And that creates an opportunity if you're the other side of the coin who doesn't want to fight him. And you know what? In all fairness, if Aljo didn't like how that fight was going, I'm telling the truth. I'm right now. Aljo doesn't want to fight him. And should do everything he can do to stay away from him. The other side of that, before you hate what I'm saying, there's not a whole lot that he could do. One thing about this sport is the top guys fight the top guys. The best guy isn't fighting the best guy. I get it. But in between those fights happening, you have something known as marketing. You have the media. Some of it's going to be straight. Some of it's going to be positioning. Some of it's going to be trolling. But Aljo has got his name out there in ways that he has never had his name out there. Aljo won a world championship that night. Jan attempted to defend a world championship that night. By the way, these guys weren't the main event. That's not great. If you are the champion of the world or you're contesting to be the champion of the world and you're not even the biggest star on the card that night, you have some work to do. And that's okay. There's no insult here. There's just a lesson that you must take with you. And Jan is in a tough spot. And I don't know that anybody has been harder on Jan than me. I also don't know that anybody has been more accurate than me. I have gone as far as to call Jan a cheater. That's very accurate. He wasn't disqualified for doing things that were legal. He was disqualified for doing something that was illegal. But there's other words that I can use. There, that, is, that is a pejorative, and Cheater largely does have to do with intent, and Jan had no intent, so I've been a little bit hard on him. But I bring this to you because Jan is also in a position right now. He's in a tough spot too. The fans in Broadstroke have decided that Jan was the victim and Aljo was a bad guy. A bad guy for taking and accepting the belt. The ridiculous of that, the ridiculousness of that statement is not something I need you to spell out for me. I fully understand it. But one thing that Jan is going to have a hard time doing, and he has had a very hard time doing, is responding with any level of logic while this is going on. In the world of PR, Jan should have shut his mouth completely. Let the fans who have already decided they hate Sterling continue to hate Sterling, and the adverse effect of that will be to raise Jan. That would be from a PR standpoint. We're not in PR. We're in promotion. So Jan needs to speak up. And he has. He has. But he hasn't spoke up in a way that's serving him or bringing him any closer to this match. That's where things get a little bit tricky. And if Aljo can continue to build interest somewhere else, and by the way, he could have some help that he was never expecting, which is why Henry Cejudo coming back is so relevant. Sterling never would have thought he had a life where he's drowning in the world of social media. He never would have thought he would have found a life raft named Henry Cejudo. But all of a sudden, it has now emerged. It has now presented itself. It's a very interesting spot. It's got to be strategically manipulated the right way. It took Sterling a few days. I think Sterling is now on board. I don't think he ever should have cried or apologized or said sorry to anybody. That's okay that that happened. That was, that was real and that was raw. That's okay. But Sterling is now getting it. He, Sterling, you're the champion of the world. What do you want to do? Walk around and not have your belt? Have a headline that doesn't say, you're the champion of the world. There's nothing you could do about it. Can't give that thing back if, if you tried. So how is Jan going to play this, and how is Henry Cejudo going to insert himself? And by the way, with the return of Cejudo, the two guys that have been very quiet in this are Dillashaw and Sandhagen, and I wonder why. I just sit back and I wonder why. Henry versus Dillashaw at 135, that works all day long. Henry coming back and going with sand that works all day long. Sandhagen versus Dillashaw, it works all day There's no way to do this pairing or this round robin or even this this quad the wrong way. There's no way to do it wrong. But when two guys go oddly quiet at the same time, that generally means they've got a deal done. It generally means they're going to fight each other, but they've been told the press release is coming. Don't say anything. Am I right? Is that what's happening? Those are the clues I have. A lot of speculation happening. Henry Cejudo returning says he's going to return at 145. As of today, I'll come to you tomorrow and talk about Henry. I'm going to tell you a whole other story. I'm only as good as the information I'm giving. The information I've got right now is Henry is returning. He's going to do it at 145. And he's prepared to do it as a contender. Before I go today, I think it's only right that I pay homage to the life of one of my favorite athletes, Marvin Hagler. Boy, if there was any athlete I could have met, he would have been a top five on my list. I always appreciated his work. My father was a big fan. Now when Marvin Hagler was doing most of his work, I would have been eight years old. Right when that started, right when things really started to go Marvin's way, was right around 85 and that ran you until about a good 90, 89, 90. The true four horsemen, Hagler, Hearns, Duran, Leonard. And if you ever want to see a wonderful fight, and you can do it by just clicking on YouTube, but just go type in Hearns versus Hagler round one. It will pop right up on YouTube. They've got the whole fight broken down by rounds. It's said to be the greatest round in boxing history, but even people that don't want to associate with the word greatest will call it some kind of an adjective. They will call it the wildest most surprising so it it is the something round in boxing history okay which makes it a very special round but this is Marvin Hagler who was pretty straightforward he had no fat on the bone you could tell how hard he trained he was lean as could be but he was about a normal height taking on Tommy Hearns and Tommy Hearns is known for that reach Tommy Hearns is the guy that would hold his arm straight down and he wouldn't snap out to jab you he would just raise his arm up hit you right in the chin, lift your chin up, boom, hit you with a cross. I mean, Tommy Hearns was something real special. So they come out and they get into a fight in the very first round, which in all truth, every boxing match could do. Boxing has rewritten itself over time to be about a feeling out process, of which it's not. It's just a ridiculous amount of time that they leave boxers out there for. I bring that to you and I digress because round one of Hagler versus Hearns is what every boxing match could bring you if the leadership of boxing would understand and pull its rounds down to a feasible time. My coach, Clayton Hires, one of the great motivators, one of the great communicators, one of the great inspirations that I've ever come across, looked up to Marvin Hagler, which always made me more interested in Hagler. Now, I didn't meet Clayton Hires until 20 years after I had first seen Marvin Heigler box. So it's a great period of time, but Clayton would come to me. Clayton Hires, put this in perspective for you. Clayton Hires beat Floyd Mayweather. I'm talking about Senior. Now, Senior only lost four fights, but one of them was to Clayton. Now, I knew Clayton. I was trained by Clayton, and I admired Clayton for three years before I knew that. He never mentioned it. It never came up. I must tell you, even if I was being a humble guy, I'm going to find a way to work that into conversation. If I beat Floyd Mayweather, I'm, I'm going to find a way to work it in. It's like if you graduate from Stanford or Yale or Harvard, you, you kind of find a way to bring, it kind of mention that. Clayton never mentioned it. Oh, and by the way, we were fight guys. It wasn't like we met each other hanging out somewhere else. He never mentioned, I beat Floyd Mayweather Sr. And I bring that to you because Clayton did brag about one thing. He bragged about the fact that he was a training partner with Marvin Hagler during those days, that he was one of the guys. I think there was five guys, but he was one of the five. And that was always what he used as his claim to fame, never anything that he had done. He was so honored to be a training partner of Marvin Hagler that that is what Clayton, would talk about. So, of course, I would ask Clayton, well, tell me about Hagler. What was he like? And Clayton would only really say that he was real old school. Real old school guy that he would get up real early in the morning and he would run. And he would do it every single day, no matter what. He just believed in that and he would not only would he run, he'd run in boots. And Hagler went pretty far. He went about five miles, but he went at a pretty slow pace. And Clayton said this, no matter how tired he was, no matter what he had to do for the rest of that day or what he had done the day before, every morning 5 o'clock, he's up with boots on, and he's running. And Hagler would do that because it inconvenienced him. He did not like it. He did not like the boots. He did not like the weather and the conditions, and he didn't like to run, and he didn't like 5 a.m. That's why he did it. And Clayton is a huge believer in the fact that you must inconvenience yourself. I had a, a world title fight, and Dana put me in a beautiful suite you got to the hotel, if you were the main event, everybody got, but this was my my time, everybody got a suite, if you're fighting for the title, and Clayton was so upset that I was in that suite, he, he wanted me checked out, he wanted me put in a regular room, and he said, they're treating you like the champ, and you are not the champ, you are not the champ yet, you should not be in this suite, Now I only bring that to you because it was a mindset of Clayton Hires, about how to stay humble and how to stay hungry, which is always a problem. You're largely seeing Conor McGregor going through that right now. It's largely a problem. You fight because you have to. Largely. Right? Floyd Mayweather is the one guy that proved a rich man can fight. Oscar De La Hoya gets some credit for that too. But it was was just one of these things and Clayton did not like that I was being treated like the champ when I wasn't the champ. You want to be the champ? You want a suite? That's for the champ. Go become the champion. Not just you're here fighting for the championship. He wanted me out of that room. But Clayton got this mindset largely from Marvin Hagler. And he would he would tell me about these things. And the way they train with Hagler, way a lot of boxers train. You've probably seen this. But if you haven't, you'll find this very interesting. You know, you got five guys there, Clayton being one of them. Clayton being a guy who could have been a world champion. Clayton being a guy who beat Floyd Mayweather. And he's a training partner. I mean, Marvin Hagler goes in. When it's time to spar, Marvin Hagler goes in. And the five other guys stand on the ring ropes. One of them goes in. Wear him out for a round, meaning Hagler, come out. Now a fresh guy comes in. Hagler's in there tired. Go on him. A fresh guy comes out. Every time the bell comes, a fresh guy's coming in on Marvin Hagler. I mean, that's a tough way to go. We've all had to do training of some sort like that. We call in the room Iron Man or we call it Sharkbait or things like this. But it's an exercise that you would do within the day and then everybody gets a turn. Not just one guy stays in. Because over the course of a week, of a couple weeks, of a camp, That guy is now ground down. Everybody else is fresh. So you just see where it gets harder and harder, right? It gets harder and harder to stay loose, stay quick, be fired back. It just gets harder and harder. It's one of these great ways about boxing, and that's what Clayton's talking about when he's talking about old school. This is how they train in the old school. You want to get in condition? You go flip tires, shake ropes around. You go run. And you don't do it in the comfortable pair of new Jordans. You do it in your army boots. But this is the old school way, and there is nothing that will get you in shape. More direct and straightforward than running. And the only reason these strength and conditioning all these other things even exist is because running can be a little bit mundane. So they mix it up a little bit. But to Clayton's point, in the old school, before you had all these wonderful apparatuses and all these different tricks and all these... uh, You put on your shoes and you go run. When it's still dark out, when it's still cold out, you inconvenience yourself. And it was just part of this mindset. I never got to know Marvin Hagler. I've asked a lot of people about him. So I feel as though I know him, but it's I know him from stories. And he had a fight somewhere, I'm trying to think, and it, and it was one of the big ones. I, I want to say it was Sugar Ray Leonard. But he did not agree with the decision. He reti- I think it was the Sugar Ray fight. He retired from boxing, but not only did he retire from boxing, he left boxing. And Marvin Hagler moved to Italy. When he was still a young, famous, handsome, rich young man, he moved to Italy. And there was rumors, he didn't know media. He was a recluse in Italy, but there was rumors that he even got a farm. It was like farming. I don't know if it was goats or pigs or what. but he had like a farm and he was getting up and he was doing manual labor and he was farming in Italy. I want to say he married a gal, an Italian gal, but even if he didn't, he took his wife, he went over there. I know he had a family. I know he, I know he refused to do any media. I know he never came to another boxing event. Everybody that was saying that he did all of this as a repercussion because of his disgust with the decision against Sugar Ray, they don't actually know that. Marvin didn't say it. Marvin didn't say anything. He packed up and left. And there's something wildly fascinating about that. There's something extremely interesting About a famous, rich, young man who goes to a place where he is not famous and chooses that life. Oh, and by the way, one of manual labor, if the stories of the farm part are true. And he never talked boxing. He never went and cornered people, trained people. He could have got a commentating job. I'd have had him on this show any day. wasn't what he was looking to do. That was a piece of his life and a chapter of his life. He closed the book and he moved on. And quite frankly, there's really no other way to do it in sport. I mean, it's a very great method if you can do it. You will know people who are still tied to the game in high school, that are still tied to it. The guy that dropped the pass. Or people that still celebrate it because he threw uh, the connecting pad and they're celebrating 40 years later and kind of go, You got to let that go. You just have to. It's not healthy. You got to let it go. I don't know if anybody let it go more visibly for me than Marvin Hagler, who, to my knowledge and to other people's knowledge who I've asked about him that are experts on him, when he walked away from boxing, that was it. They don't even know if he kept his gloves. Went to a country not extremely known for the sport, never visited a gym there, never did anything again with boxing. How close am I to accurate on that? I'm, I'm close enough. I'm close enough. And even though I never met Marvelous Marvin, he had an impact on Clayton Hires, who had an impact on me. So I owe Marvin Hagler. All right, guys, that is it for today's show. If you like the show... Feel free to leave a review of your welcome. Do that on Apple Podcasts, or better yet, tell a friend about it. At this rate, there will be more breaking news by the time I'm back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.